our family was recently by a fountain outside. We were just kind of hanging out, and there was this big fountain in the middle of this courtyard, and, and Landon was looking very curiously at the fountain, you know, like, why is this here? You know, and just looking at the fountain. And so my, my wife said to, to Landon, buddy, make a wish, you know, just for fun, and make a wish, you know. Obviously, it's not going to come true, but, you know, make a wish. And, and she didn't say that part, but, you know, make a wish. And so he kind of sat, and he looked at the fountain, and I'm thinking, what's he going to ask for? I mean, I'm excited, you know. Is he going to ask to meet David Wright? Is he going to ask that a pool is going to magically appear in our backyard? Like, what's he going to ask for here? And he just goes like this with just all his conviction. He goes, I wish I can grow a mustache. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that is impossible at this point in your life. Yes, that's, that's, that's an interesting one. But is there anything in your life that you wish you could wish away in just a second, or you could wish into existence in just a second. I'll tell you what my biggest one is right now in my life. I wish that the coming construction was not happening. Uh, for those of you that don't know it, uh, if you go about, well, now, about eight feet west of here, they are ripping up the lanes and the shoulders and everything, and we're going to lose all of our on-street parking here on Sundays. And, and on a good day, we have about 25 cars out there, and our ratio here in our church is about one car for every two people. So that's about 50 people we won't have parking for at every one of our services. And so this is kind of a big deal and a big problem for us, and it's supposedly it's going to be happening about a year from now. So that's what I would wish to be different. That's what I hope to wish away and hope to change. I'm sure there are some things in your life that you'd maybe be thinking about as well. But today, I really want to talk about this issue and how our church is handling it. And I also want to relate some things back to your personal lives and then invite you into something that we're really excited about launching here in the coming days. But we are like brainstorming everything. We've got all our options. We've, we've, we've asked if we could buy the sump behind us. No, we can't. We've, we've tried to do all different types of things. Um, we've talked with local businesses about parking our cars there. And there may or may not be some opportunities there. Uh, we, we were willing to do multiple services, but that's a short-term thing because we know like, if we're doing like eight services a day, our staff is just going to lose it. I'm going to go more bald if that's even possible you know, from the stress. And so like, we understand that these are temporary solutions, and we need kind of a long-term big solution. And so we're, we're doing all we know to do. We're saving. Some of you guys have been so generous, and, and we're so grateful for that. We're off to a good start. But here's the thing. We really need God to do something impossible. When all is said and done, we need God to do something impossible in this situation. You know what? It's not just what we need. It's also what we want. We don't just need God to do something impossible. We want him to. Sometimes I just think about that first service in the new building. I don't know where it's going to be or what it's going to look like, but I think about how cool that day will be. And when we're there, I don't want anyone to say, man, thank God the staff came up with that plan. I don't want anyone to say, man, thank God that one person finally had that good idea. I want us all to be going, can you believe God pulled this off? Can you believe he did such an incredible thing for us and for what he's up to on Long Island? And this is so important for us as a church because, as you guys know, we call ourselves an insider-outsider-focused church. Right? What that balance is all about is we want to help you grow as followers of Jesus. But we have a heart for the outsider too, the person that may not call this place home, the person that may not have any hope in Jesus. And the truth is, is we just long-term can't accomplish the goal of reaching all those around us in this building, at this location, with, with all the parking we're about to lose. Yeah, I've told you before, there's 13,387 people in the town of Nisconsin all around us in about a 3.8 square mile radius. And then go on out, Smithtown, Lake Grove, St. James, Center Reach, go west to Kings Park, and all different areas. And you're talking hundreds of thousands of people that need to hear the hope of Jesus. And we just simply can't accomplish that goal here where we are. Now we know 
that God can do the impossible. And last week, I encouraged you guys, hopefully I encouraged you, on a personal level. That when it comes to your personal finances and all the things that you need and all the stresses and all the weights and everything that's on you, God is able to meet your every need and he already knows how he's going to do it. And I know that I was encouraged, not by me, but by the verses that showed that story that Jesus is on top of it. He's got it under control and he can do the impossible. Now today, I want to talk about what's going on with us as a church, but I also want to relate it back to your personal lives. And then I want to invite you to join us in something that we think is going to make a huge difference. I think it might just lead us to what God has for us today. Uh, If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're so glad you're here. And I would guess there are things in your life that you'd say are just impossible situations. There's things going on. And maybe you're like, I don't really care, Doug, what's going on with your church, but I'm in desperate need of God to heal my marriage, or I need him to heal my body, or I need him to provide finances for me personally, or I need a job, or I need a raise, or whatever it might be. And and so I hope today you're going to find some encouragement as well. And so we're going to look at... uh, a book of the book of Ezra today. We're going to jump into God's word here and see what's going on. How many of you guys have a verse from Ezra memorized? Yeah, that's what I thought, right? <laughs> How many of you didn't even know it's in the Bible? Some of you guys are like, yeah, I had no clue. That was, I thought it was like, I don't know what a band or something, but but uh, oh, that's better than Ezra. But um, but in this book of Ezra, we see some pretty powerful things going on. And I think today, as we kind of fly through a bunch of this book, I'm going to read some verses with you on the screen. I'm going to summarize a lot of what happens here, because this is like a huge story. It just reminded me of where we are in some ways. It reminded me of our impossible situation. Theirs was a bit more intense, as you're going to see. But it reminded me of ours, and I think we can learn something from them, and I think we can find encouragement for us as a church, but also in our personal lives today and the things that are going on in the impossible situations. And so here's what's going on, okay? Give you some background. The Israelites had sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned over and over and over again and made a mess of things and turned their back on God a billion times. And because he's a loving father, God disciplined the Israelites, okay? We all know this, parents in the room, loving parents discipline their kids, okay? And a loving God sometimes disciplines us. And so God disciplined the Israelites, and the way he did it was is he, he actually let them be taken captive by Babylon, by Nebuchadnezzar. And so they're in Babylon, and God's plan was for them to be there for 70 years and to return to him and to return to Jerusalem and to see God show up and do all these incredible things in their lives. And so this is part of God's plan. And so when the time of discipline was over, Ezra starts recording some of the things that took place. And so, as you think about this situation for a second, they were in this incredibly impossible situation. I mean, just think, a nation has been captive in another nation for 70 years. So the kids have been born there. This is all some people have known. And just imagine if you or I or our, our family or the generations before us had been captive in a nation for 70 years, wouldn't you kind of think eventually, we're just, this is just life. How are we going to get out of this? You know, no king in his right mind is going to suddenly say, you know those uh, people we captured 70 years ago? Yeah, let's just set them free and send them back home, right? Who's going to do that? God had promised this is what would happen. And so here are the Israelites, and they're kind of stuck in this impossible situation, and, and who's going to change the king's heart, and who's going to suddenly make a way for them to go but God? And so here the Israelites are, and, and I don't know, I don't know the, you know, I'm not there, and so I couldn't tell you what they were all thinking, but I would only guess some of them were kind of discouraged, and some of them had maybe given up hope that this would happen, while others probably had some faith that this would happen. And so in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, remember God had promised that he would bring these people back, the Lord moved the heart of, of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. Now let's just talk about that verse for a second. First of all, I think it's very cool that the king got to make a proclamation. I would love to proclaim something one day and have it happen. I mean, how cool would that be? Like, I proclaim hereby in these United States that all fountains be filled with Dr. Pepper hereby and hitherto. That would be my proclamation. But here, he makes this proclamation, but I think what stands out to me in this verse is that it says that the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus the king. The Lord moved his heart. Because who else is going to get these people out of this situation? Who else can move a king's heart? And so we have all these different situations in our lives. And you know what? God is able to move the hardest heart. You know what's interesting about Cyrus is he was a polytheist. That means he did not believe in God. He believed in all these multiple gods. And he would say, oh, that guy works for me today, and that guy works for me tomorrow, and this guy works for me on Tuesday, and I'll just go with that. But here, the one true living God moved someone's heart who wasn't even a follower of him. And he had all this power, Cyrus, right? And he had all this ability. He had all this wealth. And I mean, you see, if he said, this guy over here is dying, he's going to be put to death, right? And so Cyrus has total power in Persia. And yet God moved on his heart. And you know what? I think that this is 100% possible for us. That there's... You know, somebody over that construction project and God could just move his heart. There's somebody who owns that building 2,000 feet that way that I dream about, that old Hummer dealership. And you know what? God could just move his heart. Her heart. I don't know, whoever those owners are. I drive around the building all the time and pray for them. They actually lock me out of the parking lot, but I'm still, I drive around the whole block now and just keep praying. Maybe God will give us the whole block. I don't know, but, but God can move their heart. And you know, the same is true in your personal life. As you're maybe thinking about buying a home, God can move the hearts of the people involved. As you're thinking about starting up a business, God can move the hearts of the people involved, the people you got to lease from, the people you got to buy from. You got to get this CO and that permit and that approval. And God is able to move those hearts. Well, how did God move Cyrus' heart? Well, look what Cyrus says. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Wait, wait, so this is the guy who's not a follower of God saying God is over all these things and God has appointed me to build his temple in Jerusalem. Interesting, right? Any one of his people among you, so he's now saying to the Jews, any of you Jews that want to head back, may his God be with him, let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. So Cyrus recognizes, because God moved on his heart, that he's over all these things and he's got this stewardship. And now is the time for them to go back and to let the people go. Aren't those familiar words? Let the people go. Hmm, interesting, right? I feel like God's done that before in another hard heart, no? And he lets the people go back and he says, okay, go back and build build what God's called you to build. And I just love, God was over all of this stuff, right? I mean, God wasn't just over Cyrus's heart there. He was over the fact that Cyrus was the king of Persia because he had to overcome Babylon and take them out. And he did. And he came in and did all this. And, and now it's time for God to do what he's up to. And he did what he needed to do in the heart of this king. And you know what? The same is true for us. We've been at this location for over 30 years. And Pastor Ravone built 
this building, literally with his hands and some, the help of some other people. He built a, a small building on this lot that was about a quarter of the size of what you see here. And it's actually incredible. You can see the pictures of him and, and all these other guys. And they got these trucks and they're digging out the parking lot and they're digging everything out. And they met in like a half of this while they built the other half. And uh, he, we were literally talking yesterday because we both need some shingling done on our houses. And, and we just started joking. Like, maybe we'll just start having staff meeting on our roofs every Wednesday and the staff can put it together. But he was saying yesterday he literally did hand put the shingles on this roof. And so 30 plus years now, we've been in this spot and God has done so much. And, and now we've got some construction coming and some parking issues and we've got some good growth going on. And, and it seems like soon God is, is up to something new and he's up to something that he can only provide for. And so God, who called the Israelites to go back, is going to take care of how it happens. Listen to this, verse 4. And the people, Cyrus continues, and the people of any place where survivors may now be living, so he's saying wherever there are Israelites living, are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And so God had moved on the heart of the king. He'd also moved on the hearts of the people. Do you see that God is over every part of this? You see he's over all of the moving pieces. And you know what? He's over this situation with our church too. He's going to move our hearts to serve and to pray and to give and to do whatever it is that needs to be done. And you know what? He's over the moving parts in your situation too. You, again, you may say, Doug, I don't really care about the church my first time here, whatever, but I, I'm a mess, man. I need God to do something in me. I just want to encourage you that God is over all those moving parts in your situation. And then verse 6 says, he goes on, All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Now, so this is incredible. Part of the plan here is, is that Cyrus said that the Israelites' neighbors should help fund this trip. That sounds like a good deal to me. Maybe your neighbors will start giving you money for the church building. I don't know. But the other thing I love about this is that not only did Cyrus say, yeah, go back, he also gave back all the things Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Israelites in the first place. And so God is moving incredibly on this heart. Now I'm going to summarize a few chapters for you, okay? Ezra chapter 2, the first group of Israelites goes back to Jerusalem. Ezra 3, they start rebuilding the altar and start rebuilding the temple. Ezra 4, ready for this? This is so important that we catch this. Ezra chapter 4, trouble hits. Okay? Some of the Israel's, Israelites' enemies start to come out and talk to the people rebuilding, and they, and they say, hey, can we help? And the Israelites say back, nah, we're good. That's the literal Hebrew translation. No, I'm just kidding. It's not at all. <laughs> nah, we're good. Um, and so the Israelites' enemies did not like that response too much, and so they began to cause trouble for them. In fact, it actually says in this next verse, look what it says, um, Ezra 4, verse 5, they hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so they hired counselors to sit there and try to talk the people out of continuing to build the wall. Now listen, this is so important. Look at verse 24. Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king 
of Persia. When you do all the math and you look at all the history of this, 16 years the Israelites got off course. 16 years they lost the vision of what God was up to. They were frustrated and they were intimidated out of completing what God had put them up to. And guys, here's what i got to say. Some of you may be thinking today, Doug, I don't understand why we don't just sort of play it safe. I mean, you got your favorite seat you get to sit in every week. Why do we need more people? You know, we'll figure something out. We'll go to two services, Doug, and we'll get another, you know, another, maybe put some extra spots in, and that may be a good little fix for a while. But if we're going to reach the 13,000 and the 100,000 beyond, then we can't lose vision of what God has for us to do on Long Island. We can't sit back. We can't just stay comfortable. We can't just decide, yeah, we're good. No, we have to continue to keep the vision that God has for us to reach out on this island. Now, I love this. In Ezra chapter 5, you know the prophets Haggai and Zechariah in the Bible you sort of reading through there? I love that this all intersects because Haggai and Zechariah jump on the situation and they start to rally the people back together. I just think that's so cool that like all these different Bible writers were hanging out and evolved in the same story. And so they come together and they say, people, wake up. We've got to get back to what God's called us to. And they rally everybody back together. And uh, unfortunately, there's some more... Um, some more opposition, some people try to get in their face again, some people start to challenge them again. But look at this, Ezra 5.5, 5. and we've got to find great encouragement in this. But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written ply, reply be received. And so, even though there was more opposition, God said, I'm not letting this get shut down again. And the people sent word back to King Darius, who is now the king there. And in Ezra chapter 5, they, the, the letter that King Darius gets says this, Hey, King Darius, look into it. Cyrus said we could do this. Cyrus sent us to do this. There's a decree. Check it out, right? And so in Ezra chapter 6, Darius yells out, Search the archives. That's another thing I'd love to yell one time. Just, it's so cool, right? Maybe this week at VBS to be like, Doug, where's that form? Search the archives. I'll see. I'll get that out there. But... So they searched the archives, right? And look at this, Ezra 6.2. A scroll was found in the citadel of Ekbatana in the province of Media, and this was written on it. Memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt. And listen to this, verse 4, amazing. The costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. And so they look back. And Darius sees that Cyrus said, hey, not only should they do this, but Persia is paying for it. That'd be like the state of New York saying, hey guys, guess what? Not only do we want you to have this new spot, we're going to pay for it. Hey, you never know, right? We don't know what God's going to do. But we know that he's over all these things. He knows the person around who just happens to own a warehouse. He knows the church that has about eight people in it. And they're struggling to survive. And they would love for another church to come in and sort of take it over and breathe some new life into it. He knows the person who has a few million dollars just sitting in his bank account. He just doesn't know what to do with it. He knows all this. He's over all of this. And in your life, he knows how to get you out of debt. He knows who to tell to give you the exact sum you need to lift some burdens. He knows and he speaks to bosses and to board of directors about pay and about benefits. He's over all the situations in your life and all the situations in our church here today. And so in Ezra chapter 6, Darius tells 
the people not to bother the Israelites and to give them whatever they need. And then he says this, and I love what Darius recognizes here, just like Cyrus did before. May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change this decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have decreed it. Let it be carried out with diligence. So Darius is going, look, God's going to do what he's going to do. And he's got this, and he's over all of this. Ezra chapter 6, the temple is completed and dedicated to God. Ezra 6.22 says this, For seven days they celebrated with joy the Feast of Unleavened Bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria. Guys, he'll change the attitude of the construction people down there. He'll change the attitude of the person we need the permit from. He'll change the attitude of the person that owns the building. He'll change the attitude of your boss. He'll change the attitude of your board of directors, of your client base, whatever it is, so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. And so the Israelites have seen God at work on their behalf in such amazing ways. And now, 58 years later, we catch up to Ezra. Ezra starts to enter the story. He's been recording all this. Ezra's seen God do amazing things. He's been writing down and keeping track of what God has done through Cyrus and Darius. 58 years goes by, and now the king is Artaxerxes, and he tells Ezra and the other Israelites that had stayed there, that they can go back and join the Israelites. So here God's up to something new. He's leading a new portion of his people out. And this is where the rubber is going to meet the road for us. You ready? Everything I've told you so far is build up to this point. This is where I'm going to invite you and I into something exciting that I think God's up to for us as a church in your personal lives. Okay? Because Ezra says, okay, God's incredible. He's over all things. He can do anything he wants. I've seen him change the hearts of kings. And now it's my turn to go back. And look what Ezra decides to do. In Ezra 8, verse 21, There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. And so Ezra, knowing the power of God and what he can do, calls the people that are about to take off on this trip to fast and to pray. She says, okay, I want us to fast. Fasting just means you give something up. For them, it was probably a food for a certain amount of time. And they fasted and they prayed and they asked God to bless them with a safe journey and to lead them forward. You and I think about a trip like this and we think, ah, I probably popped on a plane or a boat or something and it was you know, overnight there the other next day. This was a four-month journey for these people. And they desperately needed God to lead them forward. Well, guys, we don't have a four-month journey ahead of us. We probably have a longer journey than that ahead of us toward a new building. And and you may have some long journeys ahead of you in your life. And so what I want to do is declare a fast and ask that we as a church come together and we cry out to God to do the impossible in our situation. That we cry out to God and we say, God, we need you to lead us forward. We need you to lead us safely ahead to what you have for us next. Because we don't know what that is and we don't know how we're going to get there and we don't know where that is and we don't know who's going to pay for it. But you know all of that. And we don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to get ahead of you and leave. If we should be here for another couple of years, we'll do that. But we don't want to be behind you either, God. So what are you doing so that we can continue to spread your fame and goodness throughout Long Island? And so we want to cry out to God. I love, it says here, 
I proclaim the fast so we might humble ourselves before our God. And that's what we so desperately need, is to humble ourselves before God and say, God, we don't know what to do here. We need you to show up. Now look at what happened as a result of Ezra's fast. Ezra chapter 8, verse 31. On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal, a canal rather, to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us. He protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. And so they cried out to God, and God was faithful to lead them ahead and protect them and keep them. And we need God to protect and lead us forward. We need him to provide. And so here's what I hope you're seeing today. I hope you're seeing something very simple today. I hope you're seeing something that we sang about in that second song. And it's just this simple thought that God is over everything. Can we not see that in, that, in those verses, in that story, in the story of all the generations before Ezra, and then right down to Ezra, that God is over everything. For us as a church, he's over every single person that we're going to deal with through this moving process. For you as individuals, he's over every single situation that you've gotten yourself into or that you found yourself in. And that even includes, guys, your mistakes and your sin. Some of you here today saying, man, I'm just so mad at myself. I, I made a really dumb call. I did something so dumb and it feels like it's destroying everything. You know what? God is over everything, even those bad situations in our lives, and can turn them around and promises to turn them around for good. And so no matter where you are, what your need is, and where we are as a church and what our need is, we just got to celebrate today that God is over everything. The fancy word for that is that he's sovereign, that, like that second song, that he reigns over it all. He's over every millionaire, warehouse owner. He's over your boss, your board of directors, your customer base, your marriage, your body, every relationship you have. And so I want to ask us together to fast and pray, to humble ourselves, to ask for his provision, protection, and leading. So we're going to do this, okay? We're going to do a 40-day fast. And it's called, I want to call it the 40-day revolution. We did this when uh, we had this little youth group. We had this like seven-kid youth group. And we used to meet down in the basement. And one day, we heard about this thing going around and it was some other uh, youth groups throughout the nation were doing this thing called the 40-day revolution. And they would take 40 days and they would cry out to God and ask God in that time to transform a situation, to, to literally let there be a mini revolution for the different situations. And, and we did a 40-day revolution as a youth group of seven or eight kids and cried out to God to show up and to reach the kids of Long Island. And he responded greatly as we did that. And so I want to ask us to come together and say we're going to rally around this idea of a 40-day revolution of asking God to give us some type of leading as we come together and we pray. Now, you're certainly not required to do this, but the more of us that do this, the more power there will be. And so anyone that's in on this, uh, we're just not going to eat for 40 days. I'm completely kidding. Well, I laughed even, you laughed even before I said, I guess you were all like, Doug, ha, ha, no, no. <laughs> no, we're laughing at you, Doug. No, we're not doing that. But, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a modified fast. And you see this throughout Scripture, okay? We're going to do some type of a modified fast. And, and here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going to kick this fast off next Sunday, okay? I want to ask you to pray throughout your week. And ask God to lead you. God, what do you need me, not need, what do you want me, or what would you lead me to give up for these 40 days so that I can seek you in prayer? See, the point of it is not that we like punish ourselves or discipline ourselves, and I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. It's just to remove something that we sometimes depend on 
so that we can more depend on God. It removes something maybe that takes up some time of ours that we could instead give to praying and asking for God to show up. And so I'll give you some examples. Some of us, it may be a certain type of food that you'll give up for those 40 days. For some of you, you'll say, hey, I'm ready to kind of take this a little bit further. I'll do a meal a day for those 40 days, and I'll spend that time praying. For some of us, we need to just fast social media for 40 days. Some of us need to give up TV for 40 days. I don't know what it's going to be for you. Let God lead you. Ask him, God, this week, just put on my heart what you need me to do. And over those 40 days, we're going to cry out to God to show up in our personal lives and in our church. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. Make this building issue a matter of prayer during those 40 days. But then, if there's a personal issue, if there's a personal financial issue, or there's a health issue, or a relationship issue, or a marriage issue, or whatever it might be, let's bring that to But here's what I would ask you to do. Don't do like 18 things, okay? I would say maybe do one personal issue, and then the issue that we have here with the church. And let's cry out to God to lead us forward and to guide us and at the end of those 40 days, we're going to come together. That'll be Thursday, September 17th. I know that feels really far away, but Thursday, September 17th, we're going to be meeting here that night to pray. And if you can't make it that night, that's okay. It doesn't rule you out from this 40-day fast. In fact, I would rather you do the 40-day fast and show up at the prayer meeting at the end. But, but we're going to show up here. It'll be fall. Football will be going on. All right. You know, so we'll be ready for that. And so we're going to show up that night, and we're going to just pray, and we're going to cry out to God and ask him together to continue to lead us and provide for us. And guys, I believe with all my heart that in that time, you and I will see breakthrough and revolution in our personal lives in this issue of bringing before God. And we will also begin more and more to see God shake some things up and lead us forward to what he has for us as a church to do. Now, a couple just tips about fasting. Um, one is we don't want to make what we gave up the, ob- the, like the whole object of the fast. You know what I mean? Like if you give up social media, you shouldn't be walking around all week like, oh, I just can't count down the days. 37 days till I can get back on Facebook and be miserable with everyone else again. You know, like that's not the goal. Like the, the, the point of the fast is not what you gave up. It's that we're going to pray and seek God, okay? And so seek God. Don't make it about what you gave up. Make it about, wow, I get to seek God. And this is awesome. Another little tip. I don't want us to, f- to feel like doing a fast is trying to earn anything from God, okay? Because we're not, okay? So here, let me try and give you an illustration that God put on my heart years ago that freed me up from this. Because I used to think, I'm going to fast and pray, and you watch God, and I'll get my thing from you. And it was just this total, like, legalistic thing. And that's not at all what it is. So hopefully this illustration helps. If not, I'll try to come up with a better one later. But let's just say I had a goal at my house. I had to cut down a tree. There was a tree that needed to come down, okay? And so my dad heard about this fact that I I need to cut this tree down. And so he says, hey, I have a saw. I'm going to give you the saw. It's a gift. Now use the saw. Now the whole time I'm using the saw, I'm not going to be trying to earn the saw from my dad because he already gave me this powerful tool to accomplish the goal. And the same is true with fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer is a powerful tool that God has given us. He's already given us the tool of fasting and prayer. Okay? And so we use that powerful tool to accomplish the goal, which is to see him show up in our lives, to see him revolutionize some areas of our church and of our personal lives. So as you're doing this, don't be thinking, watch me, God. Look how good I am, man. I haven't, I haven't watched an ounce of TV in 36 days. You're going to answer me soon. No. God graciously gave us this powerful tool called fasting and prayer. Let's use it and see him show up in some powerful and amazing ways in our lives. And so I'm excited about this because I just feel like us coming together 
and us being in unity on this and us you know, kind of powering up. Some of you guys maybe have tried to do some fasting in the past and you're just like overwhelmed the first day. How cool will it be to know that there's the potential to have hundreds of us doing this together, in on this, going for God and ready for him to show up both personally and as a church. Now, some of you guys might be saying, Doug, I hear what you're saying, very inspirational, that's great and all, but I just don't think it's practical, Doug. Do you not realize we live on Long Island where real estate is ridiculous and you're talking about some guy just giving away a warehouse or some church of eight people giving over a church and all these different things, and it just sounds like it's not even possible. Well, the great thing is, is that I have several friends and family members that this has happened to specifically. Um, My dad was given a church building. He was a pastor in Northport, and all of a sudden, this church out in Port Jeff that had about eight people that wanted a church to come in and breathe life into it said, hey, we have a building, and we have eight people, and we just would love for somebody to come in and just do it over and, and reach our community. My dad said, cool. And they're there, and they've been there for several years now, and they're doing exactly that. My buddy was given a church out in Port Jeff. He wanted to plant the church, didn't know where he was going to go, what he was going to do. Ran into some guy who ended up being a church planter, and they started talking. And he said, why are you on Long Island? And my, my, my buddy said to him, why are you on Long Island? And he said, oh, I'm here because we have a church out in Port Jeff that we just need to give to somebody. <laughs> my buddy's like, nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, just Okay, cool. Um, we were at a meeting last fall, and we were talking with some other pastors about our situation, and one of them said, you know, a, a wealthy businessman in our area gave us a warehouse for a dollar. So don't tell me on Long Island this stuff's not possible because I know several people that this has happened to in our area. And God is so able to do this. He's over all the moving pieces. And so be encouraged about what he's up to in our church, but be encouraged about what he's up to in your life too. Because there are so many stories of God putting marriages back together, of God coming through with finances, of God healing bodies, of God giving grace just to go through another day. There's so many stories about God providing a job, but guys, you know, you young people in the market, you just graduate with your degree and you're like, no one's hiring. Hey, maybe this is your 40-day revolution. Maybe that's the matter of prayer you bring to him. And I just, I'm excited to see what God will do. I'm excited to see how he'll show up because he is over everything for us as a church and for you as individuals. I believe we'll see him do the impossible as we come together and seek him in prayer. And so will you pray this week? And will you ask God, if you're, A, if you're supposed to be a part of this, okay? I'm not up here saying, hey, this is for everybody. You pray and ask him what he would lead you to fast and pray about and what to give up. And we'll, we'll see him show up in some cool ways. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I talked a lot about God. I talked a lot about him doing the impossible. But the greatest impossible thing God ever did was send his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place and raise him back from the dead. And that's why we have hope today. That's the only reason God answers prayers because he made us right with him by, by crucifying his own son in our place and taking away our sin. And that's the only reason, like I said earlier, he can make good out of your bad situation is because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so if you're here today and you want to put your trust in Jesus and begin to see him do the impossible in your life, then I would encourage you to pray with me in just a minute. I'm not here promising that you'll never have a bad day again and nothing will ever go wrong again. I'm just saying that you'll have a loving Savior that will walk through all that with you and will do the impossible as you seek him. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful to you, Lord, for your sovereignty, God, that you are over everything. There's nothing in our lives, there's nothing in our church's life that escapes you, that you're confused about or frustrated about today. God, you're over absolutely everything. And I just thank you for that. And I pray for us as a church that you will show us what you've got for us.
and that you will provide. And that first Sunday, we're standing in that new building, wherever that is, that we will celebrate that you came through in an impossible way. And God, that your fame would spread through this island. Don't let us lose vision of what you've called us to. And God, I also just pray for us, Lord, in our personal lives, the situations that we're going to be bringing before you in this 40-day revolution, asking you to transform. So I lift the marriages to you, and I lift the personal finances to you, and I lift the relationships and the bodies and the sin struggles and whatever else people might be seeking you on in those days. And I just pray you'll lead us, God. Show us this week if we're supposed to be a part of this and what we're supposed to fast and give us the strength and the grace to do it. And God, just show up. Show up, Lord. Just show yourself in such power. Amaze us, we pray, God. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you would like to put your trust in him today, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now, just silently between you and God. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for removing my shame. Thank you for your incredible love. I thank you for this gift of salvation that I could never earn from you. And so God, now, would you show me how real you are? And would you just begin to do the impossible in my life? In your name.